It had been a terrible, an awful three days. Friday, the last word that we would use to describe Friday is the word good. On that day, the disciples stood and they watched as the one who they loved, more importantly, the one who loved them so well, they watched as he died. And it wasn't just a a normal death, it was the most shameful death, the most excruciating death, the most cursed death, crucifixion on a Roman cross. And as they watched the life slowly ebb out of his body, the scripture says darkness came over the earth and the sun stopped shining. Can you imagine that? And then Jesus finally, mercifully, gasped his last breath. And when he did, he said the words, it's finished. And for the disciples, that's exactly how it felt. Like, it's finished. It's over. Those words for them, they did not sound like some triumphant declaration. It's finished. It sounded like an admission of defeat. Everything for which they had been hoping and laboring for three years, finished. Their hopes of redemption, their hopes to to see Israel redeemed, their hopes to be emancipated from Rome, finished. Jesus, the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, finished, dead, and buried. And I can't help but wonder if for those disciples, a haunting thought didn't slowly creep in. What if he's not the Messiah? What if he's like all of those other people who came before who who were self-proclaimed messiahs? They said they were messiah, but then they, they died. What if he is a fraud? This morning, we are going to focus on one question. What if the story of Jesus ended in a tomb? What if the story of Jesus ended in the tomb? What if there was no such thing as the resurrection of Jesus Christ? What if we lived in a world without Easter? Join me as we pray for the reading of God's word. Father God, we pray that you would reveal yourself to us anew today through the power of your word and the person of your spirit. And we ask that you would fan the embers of our faith and light a fire in our hearts that we might burn hotter and brighter for you. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What if we lived in a world without Easter? The Apostle Paul was actually the very first one to ask that question. He raised that question in a letter that he wrote to the Corinthian church, and he did that because there were some people in the church in Corinth who were saying there is no such thing as the resurrection. Like this life that we're living right now, this is it. And after we die, it's all over. And Paul recognized how threatening this teaching was, but instead of writing them a letter and just saying, you're wrong, he decided, I'm going to write a letter and I'm going to share with you what are the implications if you're right. 
What if you're right that there is no such thing as the resurrection and Jesus Christ didn't rise from the dead? And so he does that in 1 Corinthians 15. And we're going to work our way through this passage. So he begins this way. He said, now brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you, which you have received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. So let's pause there for a second and talk about this word gospel. It's a strange word. It's a word that outside of this setting, a word that we don't really use a lot. Inside the church, we use the word all the time, but it doesn't have real precise definition. We use it kind of broadly without maybe knowing what it is that we're saying when we say the word gospel. The gospel, Paul writes, is what I preach to you as of first importance. More important than anything else, this is what the gospel is. The gospel is not, and the essence of Paul's message is not, uh, about the five steps to have a better marriage. And that's a good message. The Bible speaks to it, but it's not the gospel. The gospel is not about how to raise happy, healthy children. Again, that's a really important message, and the Bible speaks to it, but it's not the essence of the gospel. It's not about how to get ahead in your job or how to manage your money. The gospel, Paul says, is the good news that Jesus Christ died according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and on the third day he rose again. And the gospel is the recognition that because of this objective historical event that has happened, Jesus' death, his resurrection, it's the recognition that on account of that, through faith, we are forgiven. We are saved. Or to put it just kind of crudely in children's sermon terms, the balloon goes up. That's, that's the gospel. And this is of first importance, Paul writes. The gospel is not a TED talk. It's not an inspiring talk that, that has everyone leaving saying, wow, that was good. That's not the gospel. It's not some plan for self-improvement so that we can all leave today and just kind of, you know, lead a little bit better lives, make this world a little bit better place. I want to remind you, Paul says, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you and on which you have taken your stand. And so why would they need reminding? Why do we need reminding? It's because we forget. Or maybe we just get bored. I mean, it's fun to come here and sing and get all excited, but this is one Sunday a year, and, and next Sunday... Sanctuary is going to be half as crowded as this today. Maybe we just get a little bored with it, and we can drum up some excitement for a day. Why do we remind it? It's because we forget what's of first importance, and we move that on down the ladder, and we move other things up the ladder, 
And as soon as we take the gospel and we make it of second importance or third importance, you know what it is that we elevate? Something about ourselves. The gospel becomes something that you and I need to do to try and earn God's favor. Friends, if you look at the gospel, the good news, Jesus Christ died for our sins, buried, and raised on the third day. Like, I'm not a, 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 a PhD in English, but I can recognize that the subject of that is Jesus. Like, it's all about what Jesus has done. Jesus' death, Jesus' burial, Jesus' resurrection. And that's of first importance. And if I make that of second importance, you know what the subject of the sentence going to become? It's going to become me. This is what I need to do. This is what you need to do. And then this gospel, this thing that we call good, it's no longer good. Because the foundation, if the foundation of my salvation is anything that I need to do, if it's my desire, it's my passion, it's my abilities, my zeal, if the foundation of the gospel for you is your passion and your ability and your righteousness, we are in trouble. That is not a firm foundation. But if the foundation of the gospel is not what I have to do, but what God has already done through Jesus, that is a firm foundation. That's a solid rock on which we can stand. So, there's these teachers in Corinth, and they're teaching there's no such thing as the resurrection. Claiming that that the dead don't rise, and if the dead don't rise, then Christ didn't rise, and And Paul recognizes this is a splinter under the skin of the church, and it needs to be eradicated. This lie needs to be eradicated. So so we'll continue. Verse 3, what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he's buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to, to Cephas, to Peter, and then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. What Paul is saying is this resurrection wasn't, it's not fake news. This is not a conspiracy concocted by the disciples. The disciples did not get together and and after witnessing Jesus die, say, you know what we ought to do? We ought to come up with a story. And we ought to make our stories match. And we're going to tell the world that he's alive. And even that we've seen him. And because of this lie that we're going to make up, we're going to be burned at the stake. And we're going to be crucified upside down. And we're going to be fed to animals. We're going to do all of that for this thing that we know is a lie. The gospel is not fake news. It's not a conspiracy. Jesus appeared first to the inner circle of disciples and then to 500 more disciples, most of whom, Paul says, are still alive. In other words, go talk to them. Like, they'll tell you what it is that they experienced. And they're facing persecution right now because of it. These aren't people making up a story. And yet, despite all of the evidence, there are some people in the church who are saying, no, no, we don't believe it. 
There's no such thing as the resurrection. So we're going to skip to verse 12. Now Paul tackles it head on. If it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? And if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we've testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But if he did not raise him, if in fact the dead are not raised... If the dead are not raised, then Christ hasn't been raised either. And if Christ hasn't been raised, your faith, it's futile. You're still in your sins. And then those who have fallen asleep in the Lord, in Christ, they're lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people to be most pitied. So back to the question, what if we lived in a world without Easter? What if Jesus did not rise from the dead? Well, the first thing Paul says, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, our preaching is useless. And by useless, Paul means powerless. If Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, then at best, the only thing that preaching can accomplish is, is to tickle your ears for maybe 30 minutes. Like, I, I'll come in here and I'll inhale helium and try and make you laugh so that when you leave you can say, oh, that was funny, that was good. I'll, I'll try and tell my best knock-knock jokes and, and see if I can entertain you because that's all I've got if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, my message is going to transition to how you can be a better you, a better version of yourself. Knock off the rough edges, how we can make this world a little bit better. But here's the problem with that. You and I, we don't need to be just a little bit better. And this world, it doesn't need to be just a little bit better. We need to be reconciled to God. We need to have our relationship that is broken with God restored, repaired. We need to be saved. We need a Savior, one who has paid our debt in full. This morning during the congregational prayer, I, I kind of camped out on confession. Maybe you noticed that. We confessed a, a little bit longer today because this is the heart of our problem. We haven't done what God has asked us to do. We've done the things that, that he's asked us not to do. And because of that, the scripture says the wages of that sin, it's death. We're separated from God. The balloon goes down. And so your problem is not you need to just improve a little bit on your personality or your character. No, you need to be reconciled to God. I need to be reconciled to God. And if Christ hasn't been raised, then I might, I might as well just tell you the best knock-knock jokes that I got. And friends, that might work for one Sunday, but I, I don't have very many good knock-knock jokes. So, co cover your ears. If Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, if we lived in a world without Easter. Two, if Christ has not been raised, your faith, 
Paul writes, it's useless. Now, this is going to sound a little off when I first say it. You are not saved because of your faith. You and I are not saved because of your faith. We are saved because of the object of our faith. We're not saved because we're people who believe. We're saved because we are people who believe in a Savior who died for us and who triumphed over sin and death by rising again. I I once saw an illustration of this. It's this, this guy walking confidently, proudly out onto a thin layer of ice, a half inch layer of ice, and he's got a big smile on his face because he's carrying this enormous suitcase that is labeled faith. I'm going to walk out on this half-inch layer of ice and I'm going to be fine because I have so much faith. And he's going to go right through the ice because he's not saved on account of his faith. We're safe when we're on the ice, when the ice is thick, when the ice can, can, can bear up underneath us. Our faith is useless. If we lived in a world without Easter, without a resurrected Lord, then truly it doesn't matter if you place your faith in Jesus or not because he's dead. He's no different than any of the other people we admire. Abraham Lincoln, Martin Luther King, Nelson Mandela, Mother Teresa, take your pick. Wonderful people, people that we admire and respect, maybe even people we try and and emulate, but they're all dead. So believe, don't believe, doesn't really matter if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. If Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, Paul writes, then we are false witnesses. The eyewitnesses are false witnesses. Paul, Peter, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they're liars. And if they lied about Jesus rising from the dead, what else do you think they lied about? Is there really a God? Did God really create this world? And do do we have dignity because we're created in the image of God? Or are we just the lucky winners of some evolutionary process, the blind process of natural selection? Is God really merciful? Is he gracious? Is he slow to anger? Is he abounding in love? Or is he a tyrant? How do we know? Is he sovereign? Does he have plans for you? Good plans. Plans not to harm you, but plans to give you a future. If Christ didn't rise from the dead and the biblical authors were false witness, how can anything from this book that we claim to be the inspired word of God, how can we trust anything from this book? If we live in a world without Easter, We ought to have a Bible-burning party. Friends, some people want to call the Bible great literature and make the case that the reason you ought to read this is because it's such great literature. The Bible never claims to be great literature. It claims to be the inspired Word of God. And if it's not, there's some other more entertaining things to read. Uh Uh-oh, I lost my pen. What? On the floor, thank you. (laughs) Hey, thanks for paying attention. 
If Christ has not been raised from the dead, Paul writes, you are still in your sins. If we lived in a world without Easter, we need to eliminate the words grace and mercy from our vocabulary. Grace is when we get something we don't deserve. Mercy is when something is withheld from us that we do deserve. Jesus came full of grace and mercy. And through his death and resurrection, he triumphed over the law of sin and death. Through all of that, grace and mercy became a reality for us. But if he didn't rise, then, then forget about amazing grace. And forget about the, the lost being found and the blind being able to see and, and wretched sinners being able to be forgiven. Instead of having to rely on him for our righteousness, we're going to have to work at it ourselves. You're, you're going to be accountable for your own righteousness and good luck with that. If he hasn't risen from the dead, we get what we deserve. And the scripture is very clear what it is that we deserve. Because of our sin, we deserve justice. We deserve punishment. But because he rose again, we don't get what we deserve. He takes it upon himself. That's what he was doing on the cross. He was taking what he didn't deserve to give us what we don't deserve. If we lived in a world without Easter, it would be like being in an escape room. Have you ever been in an escape room? I hate them. <laughs> so we're in an escape room, and we all know that there's something better outside of that escape room. But it's impossible to get out. To me, that's hell. Like, knowing there's something better on the other side of that door, but I, I'm incapable of getting out of this room. If we live in a world without Easter, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ, they're lost. If we live in a world without Easter, the last place that I want to be is the funeral home. I don't want to go to the funeral home and be with that family who has just lost their loved one because I've got nothing. I've got nothing to share with them. I can't read these words from Thessalonians, brothers and sisters. We do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope because we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who fall asleep in him. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, then this life is it. And Solomon wrote about that in the book of Ecclesiastes. The whole book is about if there is no God. This life is it. And the conclusion of the matter, Solomon writes, eat, drink, be merry, because tomorrow you die. This is it. If Christ didn't rise from the dead, there's no new heaven. There's no new earth. There's no resurrected, glorified body. There's no reunion with those that we love who have died in the Lord. There's no worship at the feet of the one we love. Nothing. If this life is all there is. If we live in a world without Easter, instead of being a people who are marked by hope, we're going to be a people marked by fear. I mean, think of those words from Psalm 23. 
Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Whether I live, whether I die, you are with me. But if this life is it, I'm terrified as I walk through that valley of the shadow of death. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. Have you ever heard someone make the case, and, and you may have made this case, and I have done this too, I've said, you know what, I would rather trust in Jesus and find out I'm wrong than not trust in Jesus and find out I'm wrong. You know, I'd rather trust in Jesus because I'll have a better life even if it's all wrong. I get the logic of that statement, but you know what Paul says? He says, hogwash. Hogwash. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than anyone else. Why? Because we are laying down our life for Christ. We're called to pick up our cross for Christ. We're called to suffer daily for Christ. We're called to put other people's needs ahead of our own for Christ. And if we're doing all of that and there's nothing after we die, I mean, we've made a bad choice. We need to get back on Solomon's paradigm. Eat, drink, and be merry. Try and suck out every little ounce of happiness you can because this fleeting life will soon be over and that's it. So friends, it is my absolute delight and my greatest privilege to announce to you, to proclaim to you this morning the gospel that according to the scriptures, Jesus Christ died and he was buried and on the third day, he rose again. <laughs> this is so dramatic. <laughs> He rose again, therefore, therefore, your faith, it's not useless, it is powerful. Because the object of your faith, Jesus Christ, has risen, and he is all-powerful. Therefore, the eyewitnesses are not frauds, they're not liars, they are credible witnesses. Therefore, we can trust what God's word says to us. Therefore, if you have placed your faith in Christ, you are no longer in your sins. That is not what defines you. You are, the scripture says, justified. You stand before God as if you had not sinned because you have the innocence, the righteousness of Christ living inside of you. Therefore, you have nothing to fear. No matter what this world brings into your life, you have nothing to fear. Death is a doorway to life more incredible than we can possibly imagine. And one day, death is going to die. There will be no more death. Therefore, the wisest thing that we can do during our brief today is to live in light of our long tomorrow. And therefore, if you have not trusted in our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I ask you, what are you waiting for? Because Christ died and rose again, salvation is available 
to everyone. To everyone. Everyone, the scripture says, everyone who calls on my name will be saved. This is God's promise to us, and we can trust it. Join me as we pray. Oh, Father God, we rejoice in you. And Lord, we we celebrate that you have conquered sin, you have conquered death, and because you have, we can be reconciled with you. And then, Lord, that is of first importance. Everything else falls under that. Everything else takes care of itself underneath that. And so, Lord, for those of us who have trusted in you but have maybe just walked away, we've forgotten, as the Scripture says, remind us. Remind us that we might return to our first love. And I pray for those for whatever reason maybe have not yet trusted in you. Lord, may this be the day of salvation. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would draw people to yourself. Lord, we give you all the glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.